1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a combo podcast of Giants Splash and A's Plus. This is John Shea of the San Francisco Chronicle, and we are hanging out with Steve Bitker, a familiar voice to Bay Area folks, to talk baseball and broadcasting, something he knows plenty about, working in these parts for many decades and recently retiring as KCBS's sports anchor. Well, I wanted to catch up with Steve because of his deep ties with the Bay Area sports world, in particular baseball, and with the Giants and A's playing this weekend. Their first meeting in the regular season in 2021, um, that adds more significance to this conversation. Now, aside from his long-term sports anchor gig at KCBS providing all things sports every day, uh, he did a lot of play-by-play with the A's through 2011, 10 years worth, and also wrote a book uh, in the early 2000s that I love on the 1958 Giants, the team's first year on the coast, a must-read oral history of that season, told by the players who were there, but uh, Steve Bicker, hello. John Shea, nice to talk to you. Well, congratulations on your recent retirement, man. How's that going, and what country are you in, and And, you know, there's plenty of room in the press box once you decide to uh, come back.
0: That's not happening.
1: No. (laughs) I retired
0: five weeks ago this Friday. And um, I actually, John, had planned to retire a year ago. Hmm. But then, of course, the pandemic came. And uh, overseas trips, two of them that my wife and I had planned for last year, of course, never came to fruition. So uh, I just decided to, to work from home and uh, work the entire year from home and, and retire roughly at about the same time a year later. So it's going great. Um, the best thing about it clearly is the fact that I'm not getting up when it's dark at 4 a.m. every day. I'm getting up when the, when the soft morning light filters through the blinds. And the birds are chirping, and it's uh, it's a much more humane way to wake up. I'm getting eight hours of sleep every night instead of five and a half or six. I'm not watching nearly as much sports. I'm riding my new bike. I'm hitting the gym, spending more time with my kids and grandkids, and going to games as a fan. I've already gone to three, and I'm going to hit the Giants-A's game on Saturday night, uh, my wife and I and another couple. So that, that's really fun.
1: Well, you win the game of life then. Uh, that's that's good to hear 4 a.m. for 32 straight years (laughs) i paid my dues well how far do you go back watching bay area baseball games where did it all start for you you know it started believe it or not in 1958 the Mm -hmm. giants first year
0: in san francisco my folks were big baseball fans my brother two and a half years older we got to go with uh mom and dad to maybe a half dozen games in 58 and 59. And, uh, you know, I have, I have vivid, isolated recollections, memories from those games, uh, but I always treasure them. And, um, you know, one of the memories was the Ham's Beer mm-hmm. brewery behind home plate and the big neon sign that lit up and flashed three times constantly and then it went off and then the beer glass filled up again and it flashed three times and i was sort of fixated on that and then when i did my book on the 58 giants i found out that a few players were fixated on that too and sometimes during night games their concentration waned when they were staring at that big beer mug uh, behind the plate but also um, when the games ended at seal stadium uh, you could walk down to the field and cross the field uh, through the scoreboard, which opened up um, into uh, the area where most people parked. And so, you know, all these games I went to, we got to walk on the uh, outfield grass on our way to the car. And I thought Seal Stadium was the only park that ever did that. But when I watched Ken Burns' uh, baseball piece, uh, I heard Bob Costa say the same thing as a kid growing to Yankee Stadium. So... Um, you know, those were those were great memories. Um, and I didn't realize what a jewel of a ballpark SEAL stadium was
1: until of course uh, you know, they replaced it with candlestick. Did you have a guy growing up, a, a ball player? If it was fifty eight, was it Mays, was it somebody else? Was there a player that you emulated in your backyard wiffle ball stadium? Yeah. So
0: it was just like everybody else from my generation, John. It was Willie Mays. My mother sewed number 24 on the back of a Giants uniform that she got for me. Um, and, you know, Willie was just the phenomenal player, the greatest player that I ever saw in my youth. But in 1958, I also started collecting baseball cards. And, you know, back in those days, you didn't get to see Your team on television There were uh, nine games a year That were on TV for the Giants And those were the nine games in LA Um, So baseball cards Were a way of really seeing What these guys looked like Up close and personal And then of course all the statistics And information on the back And for some reason I took a special liking To Ruben Gomez Uh uh, The Puerto Rican right-hander And uh, Ruben Gomez was in many ways maybe probably my first favorite player in 1958 because of the baseball cards you know and then <clears throat> as time went on and I discovered what a phenomenal player Mays was and Gomez was traded after the 58 season of the Phillies and uh you know pitched in Mexico and uh in the Caribbean and so you know Gomez memory sort of faded but uh, Willie throughout the years was of uh was of course my favorite but I had other guys too you know Jim Ray Hart uh, mm-hmm. you know was a was a slugging third baseman. Uh, If he didn't have issues with alcohol, he would have been a much better player, but he was pretty damn good anyway. You know, Cepeda, McCovey, Marischal always loved Marischal because not only was he one of the best pitchers of all time, but he was a prince of a human being. And uh, so I had a lot of favorite Giants growing
1: up. You know, now nobody Uh shows a two and a four on their jersey because they just buy them. But back then, it's not like Willie Mays jerseys were in the dugout shop, you know? There was no dugout store. Yeah, yeah. Well, who who was your influence on the airwaves? I mean, growing up, you must have heard a bunch of Russ Hodges, a bunch of Lon Simmons, because they did the radio games. Uh, like you said, there are only nine TV broadcasts. so It was all about radio back then. It sure was.
0: It sure was. And uh, I grew up with Russ Hodges and Lon Simmons, And those two, more than anybody, you know, fostered my love of listening to baseball on the radio. The A's didn't move here until 68, when I was already 15 years old. And the only other play-by-play announcer I heard growing up was uh, Vin Scully, the great Vin Uh Scully uh, on KFI. They were on KFI back in those days, uh, which had a really strong signal way down on the left side of the dial, maybe 6.30, 6.40 a.m., and at night, you could pick up those games pretty well. And I loved uh, if the Giants game was already over, if they had played in the day or the night game was over. I loved going to bed, listening to Vin, because even back then, I realized he was you know, a master of play-by-play and storytelling. And also because it seemed like every game from Dodger Stadium had 50,000 fans, so there was this energy in the ballpark that uh,
1: you know, we often didn't have at Candlestick because it was such a difficult place to watch baseball. What's been the radio broadcaster's impact on the Bay Area? I mean, starting with Russ and Lon, who had really the market to themselves, like you said, for a full decade before the A's arrived. But then when the A's arrived, it was you know Monty Moore coming from Kansas City, right? Uh, was it Al Heifer who called games Helper. early on? And, Al Helfer. Uh, at, 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 yeah, at Helfer, yeah. The A's had Harry Carey for a spell. Red Rush, you know, the head and home show. I mean, they, they actually John, did it they together had, one year. Um, they had all these guys for one year. Yeah. Because yeah. Finley let them all go after one right. year.
0: So Monty Moore was the only one that was consistently there. But, yeah, you you mentioned uh, the key ones, I think. I mean, Al Helfer was such a quirky announcer. He had nicknames for all the players except for Joe Kehoe. Well, no Joe Kehoe's nickname was young Kehoe because helper could never remember his last, his first name. <laughs> so he would say, and in left field for the A's tonight, young Kehoe. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he would give the, he would give nicknames for the entire starting lineup and call them that, uh, way throughout the game. You had campy at short and greeny at second and mm. hit, hit the long tater cater at first and captain Sal at third. And, It just went on and on and on. My brother was not as big a baseball fan as I was growing up, but he would make it a point to listen to Al Helfer's innings every chance he got, just because he was so unusual and entertaining.
1: Yeah, so what did it mean to the Bay Area to have, uh, I mean, the Seals and Oaks were here forever, and they had some legendary broadcasters, but now it's the major leagues, and, um, you know, Hodges comes from New York, and, and, and Lon, you know, did some work in Fresno, and, he was a chaos of all already, and you know suddenly you have this legendary broadcast team, and the Giants are really you know they had the winningest record in the 60s. I mean they only went to one World Series, but you know the A's showed up and started winning almost right right away. Maybe a different audience, you know the colorful uniforms, maybe uh, it attracted the younger um, uh, generation back then because of the. The giants were already established in the market, but what did the radio play-by-play and color men mean to the area, and how did they impact it?
0: Well, John, I think the uh, the play-by-play announcers in baseball for generations have a profound impact on um, the communities in which they broadcast. Maybe more so. Back in the day when uh, when I was growing up, or you when when you were growing up, because television televised baseball wasn't nearly what it has become. Um, you know, nowadays, unless you're sitting right down uh, by the field, by the dugout, uh, you know, behind home plate, uh, you don't get the views that you get on television. But uh, back in the day, even the games that were on TV, you know, you had uh, maybe a camera in center field, you had a camera behind the plate. Uh, the clarity wasn't there. The crispness wasn't there. And you really relied on baseball on the radio. And the best ba- baseball play-by-play announcers, everybody in baseball will tell you, are the ones that do the radio broadcast. Those are, those are the most challenging because you've got to paint the picture and uh, you can't afford dead air like you can on television. So uh, the, the master storytellers... Uh, are on radio and uh, the best play-by-play guys are on radio, I think, in most cases. And I think they're the association that the that the diehard fan has uh, with the team more than anything else, uh, more than anyone else. It's it's those radio play-by-play announcers. And, you know, back in the day when, uh, when Lon and Russ were doing the Giants games, it was a very common occurrence to be walking through the streets of downtown San Francisco and probably just about any other Bay Area community, and you would walk by people with transistor radios in their ears or earphones in the transistor and then the earphone in their ears, and they'd be listening to the games. Uh, When the Giants were in the 62 series, um, I snuck a radio, you know, into uh, school and, you know, (laughs) and would lean on my headphone, you know, elbow on the desk and a phone in my ear listening listening to the games.
1: And I wasn't the only one who was doing that. Um, Yeah, and I I mean later with the A's, you know, Lon joined the team and Bill King. When that was a dynamic duo. And Bill King and Hank Greenwald, who also did some A's, always said they preferred doing radio over TV. I think the best announcers will always say that. Uh, The ones that maybe prefer
0: television because maybe they're not the great storytellers not the great play-by-play artists they may prefer TV but the best announcers, the real gifted ones
1: will always prefer radio We'll have more of Steve Bittler right after this quick break You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd summer starts with The Fall Guy we are doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall
0: guy. That's what the poster said.
1: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy.
0: Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13.
1: We mentioned some some A's broadcasters. I mean, we even had Dick. Dick Stockton here for a while. Uh, yeah. Uh, Kurt Flood did it. Uh, Wayne Walker, the local legend. Reggie. I mean, Harmon Killebrew. Um, hey, even Larry Bear on the Cal College Radio one year in 1978. K-A-L-X. But... A-L-X, Larry <laughs> Bear at the mic. And on the giant side, uh, after Russ and Bill, I mean, uh, after Russ and Lon, Bill Thompson um, did some work in the 70s. Bill King even did some in the early 60s. Uh, but but you know it, it. The Giants had their share. Al Michaels was here for a cup of coffee or two. Lindsey Nelson, who was probably a little bit too nor- New uh, York for the San Francisco audience, he didn't have the ne- necessary casual uh, Sunday afternoon mowing the lawn kind of voice. But exactly. you know, like like Greenwald and Lawn and, and yeah. these other guys. But you know, and then Petaluma Mayor uh, David Glass with the Morgan call, and and how about some like Phil Stone or Joe Angel even. Art Ekman, I mean, all the way up until today's guys. And and it's weird because the you look at the broadcasters on both sides of the bay now and they don't give up these jobs. But back then, especially on the A side, like you said, they came and, and left you know, these wonderful names and voices, I guess because of Finley. But there was some turnover as well on, on the Giants side. You know, Ron Fairley was here for a bit too. But um, – yeah, no more, man. I mean, now you look at the broadcasters on both sides, which is kind of how I wanted to ask you about your time, because you did A's games from, what was it, 01 to 11, off uh, and seen. on. Um, tell me about that. How did, how did that go? What were the memories and uh, on and off the field? So what got me the... Um
0: the A's backup radio play-by-play job was the fact that I had spent the seven previous years doing minor league baseball in Roner Park for the Sonoma County Crushers of the Independent Western Baseball League. So I was moonlighting doing those games while I was still working my KCBS job. And my boss, fortunately, was very supportive of it and didn't mind me taking a considerable number of days off even non-paid days to squeeze these games in particularly during the months of june july and august um so i think doing those games enabled me to put together a pretty good uh, audition tape or or disc i don't remember what it was and um and i got ended track, up, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it might have been so anyway the a's ended up giving me the opportunity to do it and uh I mean, I was filling in alternately for two of the greatest announcers Mm -hmm. of all time. Mm -hmm. I mean, Bill King is a legend in three sports, and Ken Korak, I think you'll agree, is one of the best baseball announcers, uh, you know, that we've ever seen and certainly that we've ever had in the Bay Area. So I was alternately filling in for those guys, probably an average of a dozen games a year, although there was one game when uh, Bill had some serious health issues, and I think I did 36 games that year. Uh, The joke is, is that I did more games in Arlington than I did in Mm. Oakland because Bill hated doing games in Texas. He hated games in Texas for two reasons. One, uh, the broadcast booth was very, very high up kind of like it is in Pittsburgh. And it really got windy up in the broadcast booth area of the press box at the old ballpark in Arlington. And he hated that. He would just start cussing and he just, I mean, people who didn't know Bill were scared of him when he got upset because of the nasty weather up in Texas, Uh, but he also hated it because the ballpark was not in downtown Dallas, and uh, the A stayed in a very mediocre hotel for convenience sake, the Wyndham, and you could walk to the ballpark from there, so that was nice, but the hotel was mediocre as far as Major League Baseball standards go, and, you know, Bill loved, if you, Bill once said to me if he had to give up games at home or on the road, he'd give up the home games because he always loved traveling. He loved living out of a suitcase. He loved exploring uh, museums and bookstores and restaurants and cafes in cities all around the country and Canada. And uh, so, um, you know, it was just amazing to be able to fill in for either one of those guys because each one was a treasure to work with. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember uh, the first year or two, or maybe the second year in a 30-year, can't recall, uh, you know, the A's won division titles. And one of those years, they clinched it in Oakland. Yeah. So there was a wild celebration in the clubhouse. And, uh, you know, I was working that game. So Ken was up in the booth, and I was the guy in the clubhouse, you know, hustling up interviews in, you know, a scene uh, best described as, uh, as Bedlam. So you know it was challenging. It was fun. Um, Art Howe through. Art Howe poured a bottle of beer down my back, and I remember thinking two things at that moment. One was, "Damn, that's cold." Yeah. And the other was, "Wow, that's
1: like a sign of affection or a sign of respect." <laughs> the The book you wrote, um, the original, San Francisco Giants, that oral history, uh, uh, all the players from the '58 team and some media folk Lon and Bob Stevens the Giants beat writer from the Chronicle uh, when when the Giants came West and Mike Murphy is featured as well his first season of many um, in and around the clubhouse but mostly the players including Mays and Cepeda rookie uh, Antonelli coming from New York Alou just a kid uh, McCormick future Cy Young award winner Spencer Stu Miller uh, legendary all-star anecdote with him, Willie Kirkland, Leon Wagner, uh, Ruben Gomez, your guy. And so, uh, wh- I mean, what a project, man. I, how, how the heck did you get all those guys And what, it, f- four decades after the original season that came together? Starting in about 93,
0: um, oh. I, I started doing two things. One was um, efforting to track down every surviving member of that team, nearly all of whom were still alive. And uh, the other thing was I was hitting, I was hitting the Oakland Public Library uh, just countless times and going through microfilms of uh, the Chronicle, the Tribune, the News Call Bulletin, uh, the New York Times, uh, just reading um, articles, game stories, uh, beginning with the 57 season, Knowing that that was the last for the Giants and the Dodgers in New York, and then continuing through the '58 season, uh, some of these guys were pretty easy to track down. The Giants had contact information for quite a few of them. Guys that stayed involved with the organization in some way, shape, or form, even guys who just showed up every year for an alumni event. Mm-hmm. But there were also guys the Giants had lost track of, and. Um, it was each one of those was an amazing story. What it took to track them down. I mean, my wife and I took a kind of a working vacation to the Caribbean, and um, we stayed at a hotel in in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And I had been unable to track down Ruben Gomez up Your to guy. that point. Wow, my guy. And I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't been able to find a working number or even a working address for him. And I ended up getting some invaluable assistance from Louis Rosa, who was at the time was the Giants director of Latin America baseball operations. And Louis uh, did some legwork, and uh, sure enough, he was the one that finally uh, got me the phone number. And when I called Ruben, I was shaking <laughs> like I was... 15 years old and calling, uh, the crush that I had to ask her out on a date because I was afraid with all of this effort. And as you said, my guy dating back to 58, you know, his nickname was the butcher of the Caribbean because he was known as a headhunter. Uh, he started a lot of fights when he was a major league baseball player. And I thought, you know, this guy might be a raging lunatic, <laughs> you know? but the truth is he could not have been nicer. Hmm
1: let's fast forward to now. I mean, these teams have been in first place most of the year and they have some things in common like depth and this is good rotations, which is good. Uh, they both probably need some work in the bullpens and trade deadline right around the corner. But you know, they're pop uh, in the lineup there, they have some grinders in the lineup and some versatility in the lineup. And now we've got some games uh, coming up here. Uh, three in San Francisco for bragging rights. How do you, how do you see these teams?
0: Well, like most people, I'm very surprised to see the Giants where they are, not so surprised to see the A's where they are. And the question, of course, is, you know, how long can they stay at or near the top? Many people still think the Giants are going to fade, especially because uh, they're battling the Dodgers and the Padres. But, you know, when you look at inside at the numbers, the Giants, I believe, have the the uh, third best or second best run differential in Major League Baseball. Uh, They're tied for the best whip in baseball. They're tied for the most home runs in baseball. Mm -hmm. They're fourth in ERA. I mean, statistically, the numbers show that they deserve very much to to be where they are. Um, I've got questions about the bullpen, too. It's amazing that a rotation made up of, uh, you know, an aging Johnny Cueto and guys that they picked up um, as guys that most teams had no interest in. And, I mean, Di and Gosman have just been incredible, Gosman in particular. And so, you know, they got some young guys uh, coming up now helping. So, you know, the Giants may be able to sustain it. And, and if I had to guess, I would say both wildcard teams will come from the National League West because the Central and the East just are not nearly as strong as the West. And, you know, unless these teams get hit with major injuries... You know, I see the Giants staying in the race and getting a postseason berth along with the Dodgers and the Padres. Uh, The A's, uh, you know, they're looking up at that familiar foe, the Astros. And, you know, you talk about teams that are not a fluke. Um, The Astros are number one in batting average by 15 points at 277. They're number one in OPS, sluggings, the fewest strikeouts.
1: Fewest strikeouts uh, blows me away. I know. And they're leading in all these categories. Plus, they strike out the least.
0: Isn't it incredible? And I, I, I think there were years, you know, seventeen, eighteen, they struck out the least. And then, of course, you know, you're going to have a lot of people cite the sign stealing business as the main reason why. But they they they're, they're, they not only have struck out the fewest in Major League Baseball; it's by a considerable margin. Uh, Their whip is is excellent, 1.16. Their ERA is in the top 10. Uh, Best run differential again in the game. I mean, I think the A's are going to have a tough time beating out the Astros in the division, but they should still have an excellent shot at getting uh, at least a wild card spot. And again, depending on health, uh, you know, and the the Astros could wind up as a postseason team behind the A's. I think they're both going to make it, um, you know, and the A's have had a hell of a time with the Astros Uh, in the postseason so it'll be interesting to see how things go as you mentioned I think both teams need bullpen help more than anything else it would sure help the A's if Luzardo could get his act together I think it's great they sent him down to AAA it's great they're going to start him uh, because that's where he should be when he's effective and uh, you know if they start him he'll get in the most innings so hopefully he can find whatever it is that's missing it's not the velocity
1: that's still there and hopefully he can come back up and help them. Speaking of they're both going to make it to the postseason. Where were you on October seventeenth, nineteen eighty-nine, right about five o four PM?
0: I was, you know, I worked at K N B R in those days, and uh, I was in the Giants broadcast booth, fortunately in the regular press box, yeah. not the one way up high above third base that was shaking. The football and, press box. Yeah, scaring to death everybody that was there. Um, So I was in the in the press box. I had just cued a pregame interview with Matt Williams. I was standing alongside Lee Jones, our longtime uh, Mm -hmm. engineer extraordinaire. And the quake hit. We uh, were bumped off the air, uh, but not for long. And uh, when I exited the booth to head down to the field to try to get some news and get some interviews. The first person I encountered was Jack Buck, <laughs> coming out of the of the network broadcast booth. He looks at me and he goes, "It's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to worry about."
1: <laughs> because I've had plenty of these in St. Louis, and they all right. come and go. And then El uh, Michaels' is a uh, famous call on national TV. I think we're having an Earth, yeah, yeah, and it ended. And it ended. Well, Steve, this is wonderful. Uh, thanks, thanks for catching up, and continued good luck in the retirement business. And like I said, I'll leave a seat open in the press box for you. Thanks, John. I appreciate uh, the invitation. It was fun. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on this combo podcast of Giant Splash and A's Plus. The Chronicles Baseball Gang, including Susan Slesser and Matt Kawahara, will continue providing podcasts throughout the 2021 baseball season.